0: And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 33, Genesis chapter 33, verses 12 through 20. Today, Esther's squinting as she's looking at the board, and I'm wondering if she's squinting because of the title of today's message. Which feels kind of weird writing this title on the board for the material that we're looking at. Israel Returns to the Promised Land. You would think, wait, is this an end times message? Is this, what is this? Um, You'll find out as we go. If you could talk about a near fulfillment, a far fulfillment, maybe we could have that discussion. But Israel Returns to the Promised Land is the title of today's message. We're turning to Genesis chapter 33 verses 12 through 20 by uh, just a little bit of way of review last week we looked at verses 1 through 11 this was when Jacob and Esau came back together you remember there was some you know is this going to be a good meeting or is this not going to be a good meeting so last week was Jacob reunites with Esau and it turned out all good all right Esau was not in a bad mood was not in a killing mood (laughs) apparently had buried the hatchet so to speak so you had this meeting in those verses 1 through 11 Jacob and Esau everything's good everything's peach keen it's uh, how do they say uh unicorns and rainbows or <laughs> whatever <laughs> all right and then here picking up right on the tail of that verse 12 somebody mind reading verse 12 then esau said let us take our journey let us go and i will go before you excellent thank you mike so basically you have imagine going to pick somebody up at the airport or somebody goes to pick you up at the airport, and your loved one greets you. Oh, it's so good to see you! I haven't seen you so long. All right, let's go. I'll you know I'll lead the way out to the car. You know, it's that kind of thing. Brother Esau comes. Oh, I love you, Jacob. All right, yeah, let's go. I'll lead you out. I'll lead you. I'll lead the way. And Jacob uh, he ends up replying though in verse thirteen. What does he say? But Jacob said to him, "My lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and the birds which are nursing are with me." And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. So Jacob declines the offer. It's an offer in verse 12 on the part of Esau to help. He says, you know, I love you. I'm glad you're back. I'm here to help. Let me help you in this way. But the offer is declined. It's nice to see, though, I do want to say the Preacher's Outline Study Bible does point this out. It says one of the strongest proofs of reconciliation is the offer to help those with whom we have just made peace. Once we have been reconciled, we should always be ready to help. Once reconciled, husband and wife should be offering to help one another. Parent and child should be offering to help one another. Workers and employers should be offering to help one another and on and on the list goes. So in our relationships, when we see reconciliation, as we saw last week, one of the first things that we should see is we should see an offer to help. And we see that here, that Esau is offering to help his brother. And that goes a long way to suggest to us that this is real reconciliation that's happened. It's not just going through the motions. But in verse 13, Jacob has declined the offer to help. And we don't exactly know why he has given us a reason here. And his reason is what? In, in summary, if you would just distill it down, what's his reason? Tired. I <laughs> read. Right, I like that. Everybody's tired. It's been a long journey, right? They've come from Mesopotamia. They've come from Haran, Padanaram. They've come all the way around that Fertile Crescent area. They've probably following the footsteps of grandfather Abraham, when God originally told him, "Hey, leave this land and go to the land I'll show you." They pretty much retraced those steps, and it's not just Jacob. Jacob had gone alone with just his staff. He had met God on the way, and when he gets there, what? He gets married, and he gets married again. Oh, wait, there's two other women you got to throw into the equation. Now you got 11 uh, boys and one girl, and you're coming back. It's a big party. Not in the good sense. I mean, it's a big group, all right? <laughs> it's a big group making this trek back. If you've ever had kids and you've taken them on a trek, maybe through the desert, <laughs> all right, you can start to uh, begin to imagine how tired they might be. Uh, We've actually had times where we've taken our kids on places, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate to these types of things, where the trip turns out to be a little longer than you expected, and you're hoping the kids will last, but as you get closer to your destination, you find out that their interest and their focus is waning, and we had this happen at Casper's. We went on a hiking trail out at Casper's Wilderness Park down in South County. And we went on a trail, and I didn't bring the map with me, but I, you know, kind of knew where the trail was, and I kind of knew where it was to go. And the map tells you how far the trails are to the next, you know, intersection of another trail, but I I left that at the campsite. No problem. Come on, we're just taking a hike a trail. It's like two, three miles probably. Well, we get out on this trail, and we're out there in the heat. It was hot, and, and we just keep going and going and going, and we're trying to tell the kids, hang in there, you know, it's really probably not too far. And it turned out to be an eight-mile hike that day. Oh <laughs> We uh, apparently had missed the trailhead I was looking for and had kept going to the next one. And when we finally got to the next one, we turned, and I thought that was the right one, but then we had to backtrack a long way. Yeah, took them on an eight-mile hike. They were not real happy with it. <laughs> and I can imagine hearing – I can imagine what Jacob heard on his journey with his kids, probably some of the same stuff I heard. I'm tired. Are we almost there yet? Can you carry me? You know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) So here they are. They've been on a journey through the desert, no less. The kids, the oldest one's 14, you know, so they're all younger than 14 or younger. So yeah, Jacob probably is not making something up here. When he says that the kids are tired and when he says that the animals are tired... He's probably telling the truth here. I say probably because we've seen his nature and his character. He does have a propensity to, you know, use his words to get out of something or to get something for himself. But in this case, he might actually be telling the truth. The word there that's used for weak where it says, my Lord knows that the children are weak. My version says weak. Others might have frail or inexperienced or tender, just not used to the hardships of desert travel. One of the things about this verse, though, that I do like is what was Jacob's career, what was his vocation in Paddan Aram? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd in Padanaram. So, one of the interesting things, or one of the things I like about this, and Matthew Henry brings this out Matthew Henry gives us a passage from Isaiah 40, verse 11, and it just says this He will feed his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs with his arm. And carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And Matthew Henry pulls that verse out of Isaiah as if to say, that's a little bit of a glimpse of what we see going on here. Here you have Jacob. He's a shepherd. He's been a shepherd. He's got animals that are weak and he's got children that are weak. And probably that shepherd's heart maybe is kicking in a little bit. Hey, I want to take care of my kids and my my animals. And so he tells his brother, thank you very much for the offer to run us to the next destination. But I think we're going to go a little bit slower than that, right? Have you ever been to places with other people that have kids and you're there without the kids? We had kids late in life. And so a lot of our friends had kids before us. And they would invite us to different outings or different functions. And we would end up kidless with them, with kids. And it always slowed down. And we were not prepared for that. And so a lot of our friendships ended up kind of drifting apart because they had a different place in life than we did and so we were streamlined and able to do our stuff fast but you get together with these folks and it goes slow because involving kids in the mix slows everything down and then we found out god humbled us (laughs) we started having kids and kind of oh that's really how it goes you have kids and things slow down you got to go at their speed and they got lots of needs and there's a lot of baggage and (laughs) you got to carry the diaper bag it was kind of a learning process for us being new parents and you know what's involved jeff don't forget the diapers from now on that type of thing here we've got a shepherd though we've got this shepherd he wants he's uh, he's got uh, the mind to take care of his weakened flock including his own children uh the seed of application the first one that you'll see there i've got here weak sheep need a compassionate shepherd This verse, we've got weak sheep and we've got weak children. Weak sheep need a compassionate shepherd. And one of the things I like about drawing your attention to that is because we are like weak sheep. And God, Jesus, is like our compassionate shepherd. So I feel warmed somewhat by thinking about how a shepherd, a compassionate shepherd, would take care of the sheep is uh, similar to how God would take care of us. I want to read to you a poem this is from 1936. A lot of you, if not everybody in this room, might already have heard of this poem. It's called Footprints in the Sand. And if you haven't heard it, I mean, I thought I could just refer to it and, and move on from there. But then it dawned on me, somebody might not have heard it because it was the first time I heard it too. Mm-hmm. But it talks about the heart of a shepherd, the compassionate Lord that we serve. And I want to read this to you. This is from 1936. This is a poem by Mary Stevenson. It's called Footprints in the Sand. It says, One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there were one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during my most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why? When I needed you most, you have not been there for me. The Lord replied, the times when you have seen only one set of footprints is when I carried you. And I love that poem because that's the heart of a compassionate shepherd. That's our Lord. And as we get to the ends of our lives and and go to stand before him and we look back on our lives, we're going to see places where he carried us. And I won't be surprised if it's a lot more places than I'm expecting. I, I feel that God lifts and carries his weak children just as we in our physical lives would carry a little child who says, this hike is too far for me, this walk is too strenuous for me psalm 23 you guys are all aware of psalm 23 as well i don't need to read that i would recommend that for furthering in if you want to and talk about the lord being a shepherd to his people verse 14 chapter 33 verse 14 somebody mind reading that one let my lord go on ahead of his servant while i move along slowly at the pace of droves before me and that of the children until i come to my lord in here. very good thank you mike so here we have Jacob still responding to Esau, and he's basically saying, you go on ahead. We're going to be moving pretty slow. Don't want to hold you back. You go on ahead. We'll catch up to you. We'll catch up to you in Seir. All right? So everything we've been reading about so far has been on this side. All right? This side over here is the promised land. Here, over here, they're coming back. So he's come back from Paddan He's come over the fertile crescent area. He's coming down. He's tracing now a valley of sorts or a a narrow passageway along the Jabbok River that's going to meet the Jordan River, and the Jordan River providing basically the boundary that gets you into the Promised Land. When he met with God and when he saw the angels, when we looked at the beginning of chapter 32, we had a place called Mahanaim, and it was the two camps. It was the place that had to do with the angelic beings being in in camps. Mahanaim is, it's not known for sure where it was, but it's somewhere over on this side, all right? Could be on either side of the river here, because it sounds like he crossed a couple times. The next place was Peniel. That's where he wrestled with the Lord, all right? So Peniel, along the Jabbok River heading toward the Promised Land. And then we have this mention of Seir, all right? Seir is going to be down in this area. This is Edom, and Edom is likened unto to Seir. So it sounds like his brother, since he's been gone, his brother has been hanging out in this area. And it sounds like his brother has come up from this direction, come up from down here up into this direction, to meet him on this side. He's not in the promised land yet. All right, So he's meeting his brother very close to crossing into the promised land. So when his brother says, hey, come with me, and his brother has come from down here at Seir, his brother is inviting him to detour and go this way. But what's God's instructions to Jacob? What did God say? God said, I'm taking you back to this land. I'm taking you back here. My intention is that you return here. So when his brother invites him to follow, it would avoid going here. Hmm. All right. Please let my Lord go on ahead before his servant I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord and see her. That's verse 14. Did Jacob ever actually intend to follow and meet his brother down there? We don't know. It doesn't tell us, but he doesn't go. It sounds like he's making a pledge to go. He sounds like, I'll meet you there. We have no recording that he ever actually went there. Okay, so either he intentionally deceived his brother, or he meant to follow through on that and change his mind later. We don't know. All right. Verse 15. Somebody might read that. And he says, Now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, when it is there, let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriela. Can you hear the language there, the let me find favor and referring to Esau as my Lord? This has been the language he's used since the first moment that he's been reunited with his brother. So he's still using that very deferential language that he's you know, submitting himself to his brother. But he's also pretty firm and basically saying, no, 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 I'm okay. Thank you for the second offer of help. His brother's offering to help a second time now. He says, no, thank you very much, but that's not necessary. Thank you. Verse 16, somebody might read of that. So he returned return that day on his way to Seir. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So it sounds like his brother is returning from the place that he came from. So his brother came from Seir, came up, met him, and then is returning back in that direction, not in the promised land. Johnny Hartley brings out an interesting uh, observation here. He says, when these two brothers parted, no boundary stone had to be erected, as was the case with Laban. Their only report of their meeting again is at the funeral of Isaac, their father. The brothers part here, and we don't see them come back together until dad dies, until Isaac dies. Verse 17, somebody might read that one. And Jacob journey to Sukkoth uh, built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is Sukkoth. Excellent, thank you. Succoth. Sukkoth. There is actually archaeological evidence to suggest that they know where this place is. It's right by where the Jabbok and the Jordan meet. It's right on the wrong side. It's not yet in the Promised Land. He's right at the threshold. He could cross over into the Promised Land, but he pauses. He pauses and he does something. He builds. He builds a house. He builds booths for his livestock, and then that gives rise to the name of the place. So the booths that they end up making, the word is sukkah, and it's a temporary shelter. It's a shelter that is covered with branches, leafy branches, and it would be a shelter for direct sun, but it would still be such that you'd be able to see through and see the stars. This is actually the first time that this word sukkah appears, and also the word for booths there. It's the first time in our Bible that these words appear. But they take on a much more significant sense, if you will, if you look at Leviticus chapter 23 leviticus chapter 23 and i'm taking you way back years ago when we had a study that had to do with the feasts of the lord do you guys remember some of you were here for that that was a long time ago when i mentioned the feasts of the lord i don't want you to think so much of banquets as i want you to think of uh, celebrations or holidays or festivals okay appointed times so leviticus chapter 23 is a list of the feasts of the Lord, of the celebrations, of the festivals of the Lord. And one of the ones that you can read about is in verses 33 through 43. So if you look at chapter 23, verses 33 through 43, look right before verse 33, and does your Bible have some sort of, I don't know, a title of the next feast that's going to be talked about? What title do you see? Sherry's not on her head. What title um, does yours have? Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles. That word for Sukkot? can be translated as tabernacles, all right? So feast of tabernacles. And you could read about this in here. If you look at verse 34, in fact, verses 33 and 34, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying the 15th day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles. That's the second time this word appears in our Bible. The third time it appears, if you go further on, you'll find it further on in this, in verses 41, 42, 43, You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. That's the same word, booths. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So you see it there in verse 42 twice and in verse 43 once. It's the same word. This is where that word is most significant. So what I want you to think of is temporary shelters. All right, he's in Sukkot, temporary shelters. The seat of application that I've got there for you to fill in is permanent structures. Permanent structures are inappropriate in transitory places. Permanent structures are inappropriate in transitory places. Why am I saying that? Why is that my summary? Because he's not supposed to stay here. It's on the wrong side of the river. The promised land, he's got to cross the river to get into the promised land. So he's in a transitory place. He has not fulfilled what he has been told to do by God return to the promised land until he crosses the river. All right? So he's on the wrong side of the river, but he's stopped because the animals are weak and the children are weak. So he's providing a time for them to get stronger before they cross the river. All right? by the way, if you haven't done a study on the Feast of the Lord, the Festivals of the Lord, the Appointed Times, I, I highly recommend it. And I'm seeing this whole thing between Levet and uh, <laughs> and Esther going on here. It sounds like there's this is just a piggyback on something you guys have probably already been talking about. <laughs> so the Feast of the Lord, I highly recommend it. Uh, oh, I can hardly contain myself. Let me just put it this way in a nutshell. There's seven Feasts of the Lord, seven that are in Leviticus chapter 23. Three of them, and then a one and then three more. And the three and the one are basically the spring feasts, and the the three more are in the fall. And the origin of the feasts is fascinating, and the fulfillment of the feasts is fascinating. And you've got some fulfillments in the spring feasts, and then you've got fall feasts, and Esther and I get really excited every fall, because we're like, is this going to be the year? Mm -hmm. Uh, Are are we going to see a fulfillment this year? So it's really a fascinating study. If you haven't done a study along those lines yet, I highly recommend it. If you want any notes, I've got notes from when we did it, like 18 years ago or whatever it was it was a long time ago i do i actually still have those notes it's the only study notes i've kept until i started romans Mm -hmm. and then i kept romans Mm -hmm. (laughs) because i mean it was such a it was actually such an impact for me and then we taught it once again i think five or eight years later after that so sometimes i think that oh everybody's on the same page and we've all heard the same things and then i think wait a minute those were a long time ago I should probably mention it again. All right, moving on from there. Verse 18. Somebody mind reading verse 18. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padan Aram and he pitched his tent before the city. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Shechem. Shechem is right here. He's crossed the river. We've seen finally now that God has brought him back. We see now that he's crossed the river. He's back into the land that God had promised to return him to. What I want you to see as well is where it says there that Jacob came safely. My version has the same thing. In fact, most of your versions will have safely, a translation of safely there. The word in Hebrew is actually salem, all right? And the word means in peace, all right? So the Lord brought him back in peace. Well, that's really kind of interesting because if you look at Genesis chapter 28, turn to Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 and 21. Somebody might reading chapter twenty eight verses twenty and twenty-one. This is Jacob on his way out of the promised land, on his way to find a wife, on his way to Padanaram when he's alone. Somebody mind reading, chapter twenty eight, verses twenty and twenty-one, where Jacob is speaking to God. He's making a vow, he's making a pledge. What does he say there? And Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. Excellent. Thank you, Lovett. Jacob made a vow to God. And what were the elements of his vow? I'm concerned about food. I'm concerned about what to wear. And I'm concerned that you'll take care of me, that I'll return in peace. So food, clothing, and return in peace. Has God provided food for him? Has God provided clothing for him? Has God now, as of this verse that we're in today, returned him in peace? He has. God has met all of those promises. Well, wait a minute, though. But God didn't make any of those promises here. This was Jacob saying, I'm making a vow to you. Did God do any promising to Jacob? Actually, yeah. Verse 15. Let's just look at that one verse. God speaks more than that one verse, but I think that's the one that we need to look at. Verse 15. Somebody mind reading that. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. So God had promised those things. Jacob's vow is in response to what God had promised him. So God had made the promise, and Jacob had made the vow in response to the promises God had made. And here we are how many years later in the passage that we're looking at today. At least 20 years later, 20 years later, and Jacob is able to say, God did supply food. God did supply clothing. God met my needs, and he returned me in peace 20 years later. I hope Jacob realized before waiting 20 years that God was taking care of him. I hope we don't have to wait 20 years before we look back and say, oh, God took care of me. Because all along the way, God was taking care of Jacob. Just like all along the way in your life, God is taking care of you. And we worry as each payday comes around, is there going to be enough to buy clothes? Is there going to be enough to buy food? Am I going to have peace? God took care of him every payday. His paydays were like once a year. <laughs> all right. God took care of Jacob. God's taking care of us. God keeps his promises. See the application that you've got there. God keeps his promises, number three. And you've seen that one before, and you know that I like to reinforce it. God keeps his promises. We see that one a lot. Here's one of the other things. God brought him back in peace, right? God brought him back to the land in peace, just as Jacob was hoping for. Does God have something similar for us? Jesus' own words. John chapter 16, verse 33, "...these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace." In the world, you will have tribulation. Did Jacob have tribulation? Oh, yeah. Some of his tribulation had a name, right? Laban. (laughs) All right? In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Maybe your tribulation has a name. Maybe it's your boss's name. Maybe it's your dad's name. Maybe it's your sister or brother's name. Maybe your tribulation has a name. Is God going to take care of you? Yes, he is. God keeps his promises. And according to that verse, John chapter 16, verse 33 When he says of himself, in me you may have peace, seed of application, peace is available in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, in me you may have peace. He doesn't say in wealth, in riches. He doesn't say in health. He doesn't say in a marriage partner. Those might be great and you can do wonderful things for them, but you know what? In him, that's where your peace is to be located. In Jesus, that's where our peace is located. The Shechem, they actually have archaeological evidence, and they're digging, and they know of where Shechem is located. They know where Sukkoth is located. Archaeologically, these are not mystery places. So it's kind of cool to see these places from thousands of years ago on these pages being named. And we can look today at archaeological digs and archaeological finds, and people say, yeah, this is where it was, right here. We're, we're working this site, or we know about that site. So it's pretty cool to look at those things. Walter Matthews says our knowledge of Shechem, Tel Balata, is extensive as a result of ancient references and numerous excavations and field studies. So, so these are things right out of history. This is not a made-up people group in a made-up places. You know, other religions have those. We don't need to get into the details about that right now. Verse 19. Somebody in my reading, chapter 33, verse 19. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. Do you remember when Abraham bought a piece of land when Sarah died and Abraham wanted a place to bury Sarah? And he bought a piece of land. It was the first piece of land in the promised land that Abraham actually could say, I own this. God had promised the whole thing, but it started with a purchase of one piece. Here we have another purchase by his grandson this is Jacob he's bought a piece of land now and it's a piece in the promised land and it may turn out to be a burial plot as well because we'll find later on that Jacob when he dies is buried here probably this very piece of land that he's buying right now I want you to look also at the names of the people from whom he's buying the land what names do you see there Hamor, Hamor. good and what else Shechem's father good so who's the father what's the name of the father Shechem Shechem is the son, and Hamor is the father. So Shechem, the son, is a person, and the place is called Shechem. All right? So I want you to recognize there is a distinction. We've got a person and a place, both sharing the same name, Shechem. All right? Shechem is going to figure very prominently in the next story, in the next chapter. We're finishing out this chapter today. Next week, when we start the next chapter, we're going to look at a very dark story that's going to involve Shechem, and his dad, Hamor. All right. So he's buying this piece of land for 100 pieces of money. It's not clear how much money this really is in the sense of how much it was worth because we don't know how much each piece weighed and we don't even know the material that it was mentioned. In fact, the word there could also be translated as lambs, 100 lambs. So some of the commentators say, well, it wasn't really money, it was animals. And other ones say, no, it was probably money that had animals stamped onto it. That each coin had a lamb on it, and that was... So it's not even known for sure how much it was, so I'm just bringing that up to you. And then verse 20. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel, which means God, my God of Israel. All right? So we've seen this God as the God of Abraham, and we've seen this God as the God of Isaac, and now he is the God of Jacob. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I want you to notice something else, though. This building of an altar, this is actually not the first time we read of an altar being built or a visit being made to Shechem. Abraham visited Shechem. In fact, Shechem was the first place that Abraham visited when he came into the Promised Land. It's the first named place. It's likely that Abraham took the same path that Jacob is taking that took him through this confluence of the Jabbok and the Jordan, crossing over and then going to Shechem. Shechem, you'll remember that study, is the place where Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, these are the two mountains where eventually in Deuteronomy, the blessings and the cursings are given. So this is the same place. So the place is a really kind of significant. If you just run across them, you just read these real fast, sometimes you miss that there's significance. And we're laying the foundation of this place being a significant place. All right. So the last seed of application I want you to see there, when we're talking about the altar and we're talking about him pledging his life to God and pledging that this is his God, all right, this is in gratitude for a new life. So what I want you to write in there is thankfulness for a changed life leads to sacrificial devotion. Thankfulness for a changed life leads to sacrificial devotion. Why sacrificial? Because it's an altar. You just don't build an altar just to look at. You make sacrifices on an altar. Jacob is doing this out of thankfulness. And he's doing this out of thankfulness because God met him and changed his life. He's got to change life. He's got to change the name, for goodness sakes. He's got to change life. Shouldn't we... When we are in gratitude, when we recognize how much of a change God's brought into our lives, we should live in such a way that thankfulness exudes from us, such that we live sacrificially. What does that look like in your life? I don't know. What would God say, I want you to give, and whatever it might be that he would cause you to live sacrificially. Maybe it's your time. Maybe God is saying, you know what? I want you to spend some time with this people group, this group in need, or this, whatever it might be. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your talent, your skills. Maybe it's your abilities to do something that you might not give yourself credit for that God has instilled in you and given you a gift. And you're like, oh, I'm really not very good at that. No, that might be your gifting. (laughs) How about you use your gifting? All right. So uh, when I put that there, thankfulness for a changed life leads to sacrificial devotion. When we devote ourselves to God, we devote ourselves sacrificially. We give sacrificially. And what that looks like in your life is going to be different than what it looks like to the person on your left or to your right. Whatever it might be, let the Holy Spirit be whispering to you this week. What would you have of me, God? I'm thankful for the life that you've given me, the life that you've changed, the life that you've redeemed. You've made me a new person. How can I give? How can I say thank you back? There's nothing I can do to earn it, but I can say thank you by giving. All right, so consider that what that might be. So our seeds of application then. Weak sheep need a compassionate shepherd. I love that because I'm a weak sheep. Number two, permanent structures are inappropriate in transitory places. We're in a transitory place. This life is transitory. Don't be putting down permanent roots down in this life because you're not going to be able to hold on to anything that's here. All right? Live like we're just passing through. Uh, The third one, God keeps his promises. And we've seen it before, and I want to just remind you again. God keeps his promises. Why? Because there's going to be some promises that the devil would whisper in your ear. He's not going to keep that one in your life. That one's not for you. All right? God keeps his promises. Don't let the devil take that away from you. Mm Number four, peace is available in a relationship with Jesus. Some people are looking for peace in lots of other places, but it's available in Jesus. And then finally, thankfulness for a changed life leads to sacrificial devotion. Let's go ahead and close and pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. We thank you, Lord, that you have that heart of a compassionate shepherd. And we, as weak sheep, boy, with any other shepherd in charge of us, it would be an ugly thing. We thank you, God, that you are kind That you are generous that you are loving and that you're able to care for us and provide strength in our weakness we pray god that you would whisper to us this week whatever it is that you want us to take from this study and help us to be changed as a result of having spent time with you in jesus name amen